Kato, Morina, Fano. Hello. It's so wonderful to be back here at East. Uh, my name is Daniela, and uh, I call the street City Home, but it's always wonderful to come out to East. I've uh, had the privilege of sharing here a few times in the past, but there's a few unfamiliar faces. So great to meet you all, um, and I'm yeah, really blessed to be here this morning. Uh, I want to start by asking you a question this morning. And that question is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Does anyone have one come to mind that they want to yell out? One of those little pearls of wisdom that your grandma or your school teacher told you? Anyone? Don't be shy. Come on, people. Yeah? Nice. There we go. What about anyone else got one? That's a great piece of advice. <laughs> We've all been on the receiving end of some good pearls of wisdom in the course of our lives. For me, uh, this has been true. One of my Nana's favorite ones, uh, Nana Schroeder, said, a successful life is made up of a collection of successful days. I used to always be told that. Um, more recently, a piece of advice that's been amazing for me is, just because you feel doesn't mean you are. That's a really helpful one. And my brother was a bit more practical growing up. He used to say to me, when telling a joke, never start by saying the punchline. That was because I had a tendency to do that. I didn't quite get how jokes worked. Uh, so that was quite practical. And I actually Googled this. I Googled what's the best piece of advice. And there was this page that was just asked 50 random people this question. And there were three I want to share with you today. Uh, Trent, 10-year-old Trent, he said, treat others like you want to be treated. So Trent's obviously been reading his Bible, um, and it's a great piece of advice. Um, Mary, she's 19, she said, if you want something you don't have, you have to do something you've never done. And I think that sounds a lot like that. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. But maybe she just wanted to put her own spin on it, so that's all good, and make it her own. And then um, John, he was 53, so you would expect some excellent long life wisdom there. Uh, he said, don't sign up for college classes that start at 8 a.m. So, I mean, he knows the good stuff. Um, and having been through five years of university, I would definitely agree with John. I ask you this question this morning because today I am going to offer you my own piece of advice. And it doesn't come just from me. It's been inspired uh, by today's passage, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 to 16. I know that the allocation for this week actually included a few extra verses, but I'm focusing on chapters, uh, on verses 10 to 16. And my piece of advice uh, might sound interesting at first, but bear with me. Are you ready for it? My advice to you this morning is get out and give up. So yeah, really uplifting, isn't it? Get out and give up. And I know that seems like the opposite of good advice. And let's be honest, it is the last thing you'd ever tell someone that came seeking wisdom, came seeking inspiration. But as I've read through this passage, these six verses of verses 10 to 16 of chapter 13 of Hebrews, this two-prong challenge, this two-prong piece of advice continued to stick out to me as something that we are called to do if we want to live lives that are truly centered on Jesus and truly reflect 
who he is in our lives, but maybe not in the way it might seem. So my heart is that I can share that with you today. Uh, So may as well read the passage. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to open it. If you've got your phone, open the Bible app and let's read Hebrews 13, verse 10 to 16. It says, For we have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering, they are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate, so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one that is to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Can I pray? Would you join me? Holy Spirit, may you fall right now. We're not interested in being here unless you're with us, God, unless your spirit's moving, unless you're speaking. So God, I lay down um, what I bring today, that you may breathe on it, that you may bless it, that you may bring it to life so that we may uh, be drawn more to who you are. We may learn more about who you are, God. We may be changed by you. So God, move this morning. Move this morning, God. Amen. Amen. So part one is get out. And I'm not telling you to just get up and walk out the door. Get out means get outside the camp. And we're going to dive into that a bit more soon. But I'm going to start by telling you a story. And this is a situation that happened to me the other week. Uh, And I was at the airport. I was going to Christchurch for a work trip. Um, I'm a junior solicitor at a law firm in the city. And so I'm quite new, still trying to find my place, still trying to make a good impression. And so we were going as a team to Christchurch. So you don't want to stuff that up. You want to get to the airport on time. You don't want to do anything wrong. And so I arrived at the airport at 7 a.m., lots of margin before our 7.55 flight. Really proud of myself for arriving on time. And I thought to myself, just play it cool. You're really cool. You fly for work all the time. This isn't new. This isn't, this isn't a, t- a new way of doing work. I was playing it cool. And so I went into the uh, main area of the airport, met my team, and found out that my, one of the partners in my team could take us into the Kuru That's not how I fly. Uh, but playing it cool, of course, the Kuru where I always go. So we made our way there. We were going to be able to make the most of the free coffee and the free pastries. I was very excited. And so we go to go through the Kodu Lounge, but it's the one through the security area. And so we have to make our way through the scanners. So bags on the tray thing and things out of the pockets. You walk through the scanny frame. And I was fine. Um, Most of my team were fine. One of the people in my team got caught out for a dry shampoo bottle. So we were waiting and I just kind of was chilling at a table and waiting. And then we walked up the stairs to the Kodu Lounge. And I was about to go in and I was feeling in my pockets and I couldn't find my phone anywhere. Remember I told myself, like, play it cool, don't do anything stupid. But here I am having lost my phone. Definitely had it with me when I arrived at the airport, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I thought it must be on the other, end, other side of the security gate. I must have put it down on the chair that I was waiting at when we were waiting for my team. 
So I really calmly say to my team, oh, I'm just going to go back down and get my phone. I'll be back in a sec. Uh, playing it cool. And I go down to the security gate, um, and it's not there. Ooh. <laughs> and so I ask the woman that had scanned my bags through, she recognized me, have you had a phone handed in? Have you seen my phone? I kind of need it. I don't have it. I'm pretty sure I put it through the scanner. No, nowhere to be found. And at this point, the margin that I was really proud of is slowly starting to decrease. And I have to be at the gate in 20 minutes for boarding. And so the coolness is starting to wear off as I start to realize I have to move quickly if I'm going to locate this phone before my flight to Christchurch departs. So instead of just slowly walking, I start to do the awkward walk-run thing that we all know we do when we get a bit stressed. I have to go back through security because I decide I'm going to go to the kiosk where I checked in because maybe it's there. If it's not in security, maybe it's back where I used it when I checked in. So I'm doing that awkward run thing, suitcase in one hand, bag in the other. Long story short, it's not at the kiosk. So I ask the Air New Zealand staff, can I call it? So I make the call and someone picks up and I think this is great. And then they abruptly hang up. Not what you want. And I call it again, no answer. I call it again, no answer. And this is where I've concluded, it's been stolen. Uh, unfortunately, but I think I'll try once more. And I try once more and it gets picked up again this time and it turns out there's a staff member from Air New Zealand who has found my phone. But by this point, the margin is continuing to decrease. I've got 10 minutes till I board and they inform me that my phone has somehow ended up at gate 13. I've never been to gate 13. It's, uh, you, as you come through the security, you go to the Kodu Lounge on this side, it's kind of way over the other side, and I think, I have to go and get this. So I'm, at this point, sprinting through the airport with my suitcase in one hand, my bag on my shoulder, and I come and I have to go back through security to get my phone. So I've already done this once, and there's the line is long, so I'm that person saying, excuse me, got to get to the front. I'm absolutely not cool by this point. And the lady, the same lady who had scanned me through is there, and she's thinking, who is this random girl that keeps turning up? But she says, I'm sorry, you have to go through the process again. You have to scan your stuff through to get through the gate. And so I'm doing that really quickly. Bag on the conveyor belt, run through, I'm fine. I run to gate 13, I grab my phone. I've got four minutes to boarding. So you can imagine I'm really in a bit of a bother. And I'm sprinting my way through. I get to my gate and it says final call for my flight. So I sprint past this pack of people in order to get there and say, I'm here. And it turns out that the screen was wrong. It wasn't the final call. They actually hadn't started boarding my flight yet. And I had just run past every person waiting on my flight. Excuse me, excuse me, got to get to the flight. And they were all waiting for the same flight as me. So needless to say, me and my stupidity made for great weekly newsletter content at my office that week. Um, but I tell you this story. There is a point to it. It's because my experience uh, on that morning connect to some of the things that I think we can gain from this passage. And the first thing I I'd note from my experience in the airport is that even though I'd been through the same security gate just 10, 15 minutes earlier, even though the staff member recognized me, even though nothing about my baggage or my belongings or me had really changed, the airport rules and regimes meant I had to repeat the regime in order to pass through the gate, in order to gain access to the restricted area. And then you compare that to the Kodu Lounge. 
entry into the Koru Lounge only depended on the person I was with and the name under which I could be identified. Quite different entry requirements. And I don't think this is too dissimilar to the two types of entry requirements that the recipients, the audience of this letter of Hebrews were torn between. The airport security gate type of entry requirements that existed under the Old Testament law of repeated regimes that needed to be performed in order to gain access into God's presence. And the Koru Lounge type entry requirement that exists under Jesus, that only requires us to say, I'm with Jesus, I've chosen to be with Jesus, and that's your ticket in. And we've got a bit of background here for this passage that I think is important to understand. Because like I mentioned before, under the Old Testament, for these people, these Hebrew Christians that this letter is written to, they were very familiar with the, 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 the regimes and routines that were required in order to get access through the gate into God's presence, in order to restore their relationship with God, in order to uh, make right their sinfulness before God. Because they, like us, uh, were, were sinners. They were spiritually broken and separate from God. Um, that's this, nothing about that has changed about humanity. But they used animal sacrifice uh, as a symbol as, as a way that they, they gained access before, to become right before God. And there was the sacrifice of atonement, which was used before Jesus as the way that these people, their sin was atoned for before God. And that's what we're reading about in Hebrews chapter 13, when we read about the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering, that is referring to this animal sacrifice of atonement. And this is what they had to do to have relationship with God. This is what they had to do. And they carried this out inside the camp. And that's what this passage is talking about as well. They talk about the camp. And it's important for us to understand what the camp means. And it's what it sounds like. It was the area where the Israelites had set up their community. It's where they had set up their temple and the, the, the tabernacle, their system of government, uh, their schooling. That was, the camp was their home, was their hub. And because this was where they lived, they wanted to keep it as clean and ordered as they could. And so everything gross and unclean was chucked outside the camp. Outside the camp, therefore, was the last place that they wanted to be because it was disgusting. I'll give some examples for you about the kind of stuff you'd find outside the camp back in the Old Testament with the Israelites banished outside the camp. Leviticus 16, they talk about how the leftover bits of animals used for sacrifices, they were burned outside the camp. Numbers 5, verses 1 to 3, anyone with skin diseases or bodily discharges or people who were ceremonially unclean because they'd touched dead bodies were commanded to go outside the camp. Numbers 15 verse 32 tells a story about a man who was found breaking the Sabbath. So he was ordered outside the camp to be killed. And Deuteronomy 23 verse 12 talks about how outside the camp was the place designated for human waste. We all know what that means, don't we? You see, this background and this understanding of inside the camp and 
outside the camp and the stark difference between those two places would have been so familiar to the people receiving this letter. And they would have known that outside's not where you want to be. And that's why Jesus and the reality of the gospel would have made no sense to them and would have been so countercultural to what they were familiar with. Because what do we know about Jesus? Is that he entered, he entered our world in an outside the camp sort of way. And he continued to live in an outside the camp sort of way. His life and his words and his actions and who he rubbed shoulders with and where he didn't mind going, all of that existed and was happening in the dirty parts. And that's what caused the leaders of the time to send him to his death outside the camp. And that's what we read, that he was killed outside the camp. The place known for its uncleanliness and disrepute was where Jesus' death fulfilled that sacrifice of atonement once and for all. Like this is a crazy picture we need to have our heads around in order to understand the power of Hebrews chapter 13. Because what we learn is that Jesus continues to exist and be active outside the camp. Because outside the camp is where the people who don't yet know him exist and move and shake and do life. It's the area that for us today is also probably likely to be regarded as the, the, the waste, garbage, gross part of our society. It's the areas outside of our religious comfort, our um, social acceptability. That's where Jesus is today because that's where he's always been and he'll continue to always be. And that's why we need to get out that's why we need to get out because that's where Jesus is. And the Hebrew, the writer of this book is reminding these people that they had started to slip back into their old way of comfortable life inside their camp. Comfortable life inside camp, avoiding outside the camp, avoiding that part of society. And that was because they were being persecuted and people didn't, um, their families, their workplaces they were persecuting them for choosing Jesus. And so they'd kind of taken a step back and tried to return to the old way. But this challenge is given to get outside the camp and bear Jesus' disgrace because that's where Jesus is at work. And the call remains for us today. We need to get out of the camp. The Message Bible puts this in a really cool way. It says, so let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. When we're talking about that at the moment, this is so real for our community, such a heart for evangelism and outreach. And oh, do we need it? Gosh, we need it at the moment. We need the gospel in our schools, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our families more than ever. And Hebrews 13 reminds us that we are called to get out into those spaces and take Jesus Take Jesus there. We've got to get out of the camp if we want to be in on the action with Jesus. So that's why I'm telling you to get out today. But I also said that I want you to give up. And why on earth would I tell you to do that? But it's because what I'm telling, what I think we get from Hebrews 13 is that we're called to give up a sacrifice of praise. 
I'll read that again. I'll read the passage again from verse 14. It says, For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. I mean, I found myself thinking, what's the sacrifice talk? I thought the whole point of Jesus was that the whole sacrifice system was no longer necessary. I thought that that was done away with. I thought Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice and therefore we didn't need to do that sacrificial thing anymore. But verse 14, the one that says that we do not have an enduring city here, instead we seek the one to come, that's the reason why we bring a sacrifice of praise. Because it's a truth that what we see here and the mess of the world and the brokenness around us, that's not all there is. We have hope and everlasting life that awaits us in Jesus and in eternity. And so because of that, we need to praise God. We need to praise God because of what he has given us through Jesus. Because of him, we're no longer bound by the need for repeated rituals and regimes in order to have right standing before God. That's done away with in Jesus. And because of that, that's why we bring our praise because he's worthy of it. You see, what is praise? Praise is an offering of thankfulness and a bestowing of honor. That's what it is. And, and what is sacrifice? Sacrifice is going without. It's the giving up of something valued for the sake of other considerations. That's a definition I read. So a sacrifice of praise is giving up something that each of us holds as valuable for the sake of offering thankfulness and bestowing honor on God. That's what a sacrifice of praise is. And we, I know that God is worthy of my praise, but sometimes I'm not in the mood. Sometimes life's a bit hard and it feels weird and wrong and just like the last thing I feel like doing. Maybe you don't feel like that, but I imagine that some of you have felt that before, that praise is hard sometimes. Praise is inconvenient sometimes. Praise is costly sometimes. Praise is the last thing we feel like doing sometimes. But as I was thinking about this idea of a sacrifice of praise and why it's important and why Jesus is worthy of it, I returned to the cross and I thought the cross was hard. The cross was costly. The cross was inconvenient. The cross was the last thing I bet Jesus felt like doing. But he did it for us. And our response we're called, it, called to is to bring our praises to him for that. And one way that we do that is through song and through worship, because I do believe there's power when we sing and when we, 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 when we push ourselves to use our voices in song to him. Some people don't like singing. Okay, that's fine. I don't mind singing. Some people don't like it. But I think that we put aside our preferences when it comes to praise and we bring it because God's worthy and because we're called to. 
And that's what we get the chance to do today. We've got, I'll just ask the band to come up. Um, we, we make a choice to praise, even when we don't feel like it. Um, for me right now, I've got some stuff going on in my life that I, I kind of don't, it's hard to figure out why I'd want to praise God. In some circumstances, I'm sure you're the same. Everyone's got their mountains and their valleys. But we will choose. To, uh, my encouragement and what I get encouraged by Hebrews 13 about is that I will choose to praise still. Because God is worthy, because he's done it all, because he has taken away the need for my relationship with God to depend on what I do. That is worthy of praise. There's a song by um, Hillsong, and we're not singing this one today, but the lyrics, I'm going, I want to borrow them as a way to encapsulate what I think this is getting at. It's a song called Even When It Hurts. And the chorus says, Even when my strength is lost, I'll praise you. Even when I have no song, I'll praise you. Even when it's hard to find the words, louder then I'll sing your praise. Even when the fight seems lost, I'll praise you. Even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. Isn't that what we're feeling at the moment, the hurt? And I think it is the hurt of hell, of the enemy happening in our society with what's happening in our nation. It's, it's, this, it's evil and it's not of God. And we're feeling the ache of that. But even in the midst of that, I'll praise God because I know he's above it and he's sovereign. Even when it makes no sense to sing, louder then I will sing your praise. Give up a sacrifice of praise. And I love that song we sang earlier of um, I love you, Lord. Let it be a sweet, sweet song in your ear. I think that there is a sweetness to sacrificial praise. I think there's a sweetness to sacrificial praise. And so today, um, we have an opportunity to respond. And There's two ways that maybe you want to respond today. Maybe it's the get out that got you. Maybe the realization that we can't just stay in our safe bubbles. Instead, we need to take on God's call to go out with him. It's this idea that I think church community and I think gathering as a a community is essential and important. And it's not that we stop doing that. But this is our petrol station. This is where we get refueled in order to go out and empty our tanks. What's the point in turning up on the next Sunday full still? What's the point? My heart for myself is that I will turn up each Sunday empty, having poured out what Jesus is doing to the people around me. That's the get out of this passage. And if that's what you've been challenged by today, can I encourage you to do something practical about it right now? And think about what's one step you can take toward creating more of a get-out approach in your life and get out your phone and go to Wednesday in your calendar and put it in as a midday appointment so that you get a notification. And it reminds you, that's right, on Sunday, I thought that this was a way I could do this. Putting wheels on our hearts cry. If that's what you want to do, can I encourage you to use this time to do that? But maybe yours is the give up that idea of giving up a sacrificial cry of praise. The idea that you might not be in the mood or it might not make no sense or praise might seem like the last thing that makes it's what you want to do. But knowing that because of who Jesus is, because of what he achieved for us and did for us, he's worthy of that. 
And we've got a song we're going to sing. We're going to, I think we should sing that song again, I Love You, Lord. And then we're going to continue to worship. And using these words, borrowing these words as a cry of your praise today. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I might have tears. My voice might be shaky. My arms might not want to go up because it might feel a bit hard. But I'm going to do it. Do you want to join me in that this morning? So that's the reason I told you to get out and give up. Not because I want to discourage you, but because I think Hebrews 13 can you, takes that phrase and it shows us how it can build and lift and challenge us toward a life that's more aligned with who Jesus is. So I will, um, I'd love to pray. I'd invite you all to stand as I pray um, and respond as you need to this morning. God, I thank you that you are with one of each and every one of us wherever we go and that you are in the corners of our society that are broken, that are dark, that are smelly, that are hard, where there's pain. You are there, God. Jesus, your cross has achieved everything that every person in this world needs. And we get to partner with you in that, God. So give us what we need to come out with you. Give us what we need to get out and give us what we need to give up praises today. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit. It's so unnatural to praise when we don't feel like it, when it makes no sense. It's so against our human response. We need your Spirit to take us to that place. So Holy Spirit, fall right now and lead us to bring praises today. Call them out on us, God. Remind us of who you are and what you've done for us and what awaits us beyond this world. Because with that on our mind, we can't help but praise. We can't help but declare your goodness, God. I thank you, you're a God above all things, yet still interested in each and every one of us today. I thank you that you are not distant, but you are close. That you are not some shiny, um, shiny God up on an altar that we have to climb to and polish and impress. But God, we can come to you in the dirt on our knees and we can cry out before you and you, you, you meet us there, God. I'm so thankful for that today. So yeah, as we sing, Jesus, hear our praises, receive our praises, God, and, and stir in us what we need in order to get out of this place, in order to make your name known in the corners and the spheres of influence that we are in. We, we commit this community to you. We want to be part of what you're doing. Thank you for your word today. Amen.